All right. Well, if you are visiting with us, we're in the middle of a series with the title just right there. Very good. Um, God's designed for gender and sexuality. Today we're talking about what is a woman. What could go wrong, right? <laughs> so, um, the, listen, my only hope is thus saith the Lord. Like, that's, 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 that's always true. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if I, had, if I had to get up here and talk on some other authority... Then it, I just wouldn't do it. But man, God's word does indeed speak uh, clearly and with good news into a world that is confused and hurting and struggling. And so that's our hope with this series. Uh, you know, we we could lob some rhetoric that would draw a crowd, frankly, um, with, with stuff like this, um, and would and would run others away. And and our hope is is not to avoid either of those. Uh, we're not going to. Our hope is just to lay before you the Word of God. And so, um, as I've said, every time we've kind of entered into this, our hope is to, to speak God's Word in the midst of a world, world that has plenty of words to say about what is gender and sexuality and what can we do, what can we not do, and all of those things. What does God say? How do we hold faithful to that? How do we submit ourselves under that? How does that lead to flourishing? Because God says it's very good. When he made a male and female, he said it was very good. How does that lead to flourishing? How, why is it very good? And then, uh, not only how do we stay faithful to God, but really as a part of how do we stay faithful to God, how do we also minister to a world that doesn't agree with us, that is confused, that is hurting and struggling, and frankly, looking for answers? How, how do we do all of that? And so that's our hope as we apply this. And so we've just started with, hey, we're made in God's image. He's the creator. He made them male and female. He has the authority to say what we are, what we are not. And there is a distinction in being male and being female that is not secondary, uh, but uh, rather is a part of the very essence of what it means to be an image bearer. That when he made them in his image, he made them male and female. And together in his image, or together male and female, we image God. And so we started out with that. And then we're just going through, we spent last week talking about what is a man. Um, and then today, what is a woman? And so we'll continue to step further into the implications and the questions that come from addressing an issue and, and, and a series like this. But we just want to set up a baseline with, with talking about, hey, is there, is there such thing from God's perspective? Is there such thing from God's design, male and female? Is it something that is uh, true about our, our nature physically? Or is it something that's more true about our inner spirit and we, and we can move in and out? And, and if so, uh, you know, how does that look? How does it play out? So we're just setting up a foundation for that. So today, that is our hope, is to, is to really look at uh, what, what does it mean when he made them female? What was God's design? What was his plan for the woman? And then, is there, like, with his design, with his plan, with his purpose, is there a correlation and um, an intentionality with how he's made females different that allow them to serve that purpose. Hey, and, and obviously we're arguing that there is, that God has an intentional purpose with the way he made. There are, like the world is confused, the world is clear about the differences between males and females from a physical standpoint. Now there's all sorts of confusion about what, what do we do with that? Is that a discrepancy to be done away with and to, to, to level that? And even that word implies different value that I don't like, but, but we're saying, okay, well, they can do this, and, and if they can do this, we should be able to do this. And it's, it's gotten really weird and confusing. And, and what God's word says is, hey, those, those differences are not errors to be erased, but rather distinctions in design that are to be understood, respected, and rejoiced in. And so that's our hope today. 
What, what did God intend when he made the woman? How did he wire them up in such a way physically to serve that purpose? All right, so let's jump in. Title is What is a Woman? Uh, it's also the source of a lot of, a lot of debate. Just, just even that idea right there seems to be a hotter question than a lot of other questions in, in the world. What is a woman? Right? It, it, was, it was a question that was uh, highly talked about after our most recent Supreme Court nominees or Supreme Court justices nomination process where she was asked that and, and refused to answer it, claimed she wasn't a biologist. I'm not able to do that. I, and again, I'm not trying to stoke a fire here of politics. I'm just simply saying that is indicative of where we are in the world whenever we, we, we can't define or refuse to define simple personhood uh, as male and female. And so uh, this is a question that the NCAA and other sports, you know, high school sports and junior high, all the way down, are having to wrestle with. What, what is a woman? Who do we allow to compete? And what is, frankly, what, what is titled women's sports? Right? There's so much confusion. And if we wanted to, we could, we could point out and, and even begin to mock the, the, the illogical nature of some of these arguments. But again, our hope is not to do that. Our hope is to, is to see what does God say, and then any distortion and confusion from that is rooted in sin, and the hope for sin is the gospel, and we want to be able to apply the gospel to this issue. So, but nonetheless, it does, it, it does bear some, some reflection to realize where we are and, and the stakes that are here. I've got a lot of conversations since starting this series, and most of which have, have been grateful that we're willing to, to you know, speak on it and say, what does God say? I've heard you know, a couple of people, oh, do we really, why do we have to do that? Why do we have to step off into that? And, and, and that is why there are huge stakes here for our culture, for our church, for our homes, if we misunderstand what God's design is for us as male and female. So that is the question before us today. What is a woman. So let's go back to the beginning. Uh, the verses that we ended um, with last week was verse 17 of Genesis chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse 18 today that Melise just read for us. And I want to go back to the beginning as we look at what's the purpose. Let's go, where does this thing come from? Where did we start here, right? Um, and so uh, just, just as before we get into this, I want to just kind of cite one of my major sources because much of what I say will be informed by it. And, and I want to make sure I give credit where that is due. So I was really helped by uh, Capitol Hill Baptist Church's uh, teachings on this. And so they're, they're a church in D.C. area and, and uh, did a, a series on this. And I've used that a lot. And so some things I'll quote explicitly from them. But a lot of what I'm saying has been uh, shaped by that. So I just want to kind of cite my source as we, as we get in here. Uh, today. Their, their library on this topic has been really helpful. So let's look at verse 18. Um, this, is, this is after the Lord has taken the man, put him in the garden to work it and to keep it, right? The man's purpose is primarily to provide and to protect. He's made them physically to do so uh, with distinctions there. And then the Lord God said in verse 18 of chapter 2, that it's not good that the man should be alone. So I'll make a helper fit for him. Now listen, we can make some funny jokes here because if you've been to a single dude's house, like you know why it's not good that men are alone, right? Uh, it's just, it just isn't good a lot of times, right? It smells and it's, and it's you know, it, it's just got frozen pizzas in the fridge like, or maybe not even that. I, and, and, and even then, we're, we're, you know, I'm perpetuating stereotypes here, but, but nonetheless, God looks at the world and he said it is good every day that he's made it. Every, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. But then this is the first time in his creation story that he says something is not good. And what is not good is that the man is alone. Okay, so, so that, is, that is the premise of what brings us to the creation of woman, is that man by himself, there's something incomplete about it. There's something not 
whole. There's something not good. So God says, I'll make a helper fit for him. Now, we're going to talk about that word helper in just a moment. So don't get hung up on that. But uh, I'm going to make a helper fit for him. Okay, so and then he goes on to say, out of the ground he made everything else. And that's important for us to note as we step into how does he make Eve. And, and so um, as, we, as we get into this, I want you to see intentionality. God um, spoke the world into existence, spoke the creation into existence. And then when he began to make creatures, he worked them out of the ground and he made man out of the ground. When he moves to Eve, there's a different material source there. And it says something to us about her purpose. And so we'll get to that in just a moment. But I want to I want to clarify, I want to spend just a moment. We did this in the first week. I want to go just a bit deeper or set this up as we move on. This idea of a helper fit for him gets some it really doesn't communicate super well in English and it and it and it loses some of the value of, of what uh, woman's purpose is. And I think even the, so much of the like so much of the misunderstanding of of, of what is a woman, what should a woman be, what should a woman aspire to, how should a society value a woman, so much of the confusion that is um, going on in this world and, 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 and at the, at sometimes at the heart of, of good and right feminist movements and other things, and sometimes you know, taken too far with those things and, and the wrong agenda, like so much of that is, is a misunderstanding of God's purpose of the world and a letting of the culture define what do we value and letting culture say, this is how we identify people and ascribe value and status to them based off what do they do in the world, how much money, how much salary do they earn, and these sorts of things. And it all creates this weird mixture of, of, of what's valuable, what's not. And, and, and I think a misunderstanding of this very text like, has sort of halted the church or neutered the church and its ability to speak in to the beauty and the value of what God meant when he made woman. I don't know if that makes some sense, but the world's super confused and there's all sorts of movements to try to get women rightly valued. And, and I, I am like, if that's the movement, I'm behind that. Women should be rightly valued. Like just a foolish, like equal pay. I know there's a lot of nuances, nuances to that, but just, just put our cards on the table. If a woman's doing the same job and having the same productivity rate as a man, she should be making the same doggone rate as a man. Like that's just, we don't have to debate about that. That's easy, right? These, these shouldn't be things that we have to fuss through. Like that, that's, that is toxicness that we need to, to speak about and, and move on. Like, but there's so many nuances to that because then we say, well, the woman, in order to get those places, she would have to, you know, she's got she to deal with having babies and she's got to deal with taking time off. And so then we get back into how does God make, what, what has God made women for? What has he made their purpose to be? And so all of this has to be looked at holistically. But I think, again, the church has failed to see what God meant right here. And that has neutered our ability to respond well to a confused world. So let's look. What does it mean when he says a helper fit for him? That word helper, we immediately go to kind of like, oh, a helper. Like, okay, you know, you can't really do the job, but maybe you can help me do the job. We go to this second-rate idea. But, but the, the language here from the Hebrew is ezer. Okay? Uh, ezer kenigdo is the full you know, what, what God's going to make, that's a helper fit for him. And so let's just start with the easier part. That's, that's helper, okay? And, and what that means in Scripture is not this second class or inferior being who can't really do the job, but maybe they can contribute something. No, the idea is quite the opposite in Scripture. In fact, the other places that this is used in Scripture is used to talk about God himself. Psalm 54.4 says, Behold, God is my easer. God is my helper, the Lord is my upholder 
of life. Psalm 54.4, God is my helper. He is my upholder of life. So let that begin to form how we think of what God is doing here when he makes Eve. He, this, is, this is not an inferior, it cannot be used to imply inferiority. Because you, you, can't say that that, you can't say that about God. You can't say that God is inferior to beings and he's just here to help us along our way. Now, some of y'all, that's what's wrong with your theology. In practice, you expect God to serve your agenda and you get real frustrated and you don't think he's good because he's not serving what you want to do. When in reality, God doesn't serve you, okay? He made you and he upholds you. He's come alongside, like he, he does walk with you and he is, he is your sustainer, your life giver, the one who shows up when you're in need. Okay, so again, it starts with saying, it's not good that man's alone. So let me make a helper, a, a, a sustainer. Let me make a, a life giver for him. That begins to show us a bit more of the inside of what God intends when he makes woman. It's this idea of him showing up. It's actually a term of, of strength that is being implied here. And if you think about it, just practically, the person who needs help, the, if, if, I, you know, if, if I need help with a task and I come to you and say, hey, can you help me do that? What, th that's saying more about my weakness than it is yours, right? It's saying, I'm actually not able to do this job. I need your assistance, right? And so if it's saying anything about anybody's inferiority or in inability, it's actually the person who, who needs the help. Does that make sense? This is not speaking to the nature or the competency of the, 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 the female that is about to be made. In fact, it, it's, it's amplifying the need that exists without her. So as we step into that, I want you to hear, I think Abigail Dodds writes this and says, helper is a term of strength. Suffice it to say that this doesn't mean that Eve was created to make Adam breakfast in bed or fetch him the TV remote. God blesses the man with her to help him faithfully carry out God's commission and commands. It wasn't good for him to be alone, primarily because he was unable to exercise dominion and be fruitful and multiply without her. Remember, that's what he's been commissioned to do. Go, fill the earth, take dominion, be fruitful and multiply. He's unable to do that without the woman. So in the context of the first marriage, Eve was to be Adam's equal. And without her distinct gift, so again, back to week one, equal in value, but distinct in makeup and in roles, okay? Without her distinct gifts, Dodds goes on to say, uh, who would complement him in every way, even as she is submitted to his leadership in their marriage, she was to improve his weaknesses and sharpen his strengths. She was to use her wisdom, strength, perspective, insight, and creativity to help him in ways that he crucially needs. And his calling was to love, protect, and provide for her sacrificially. Okay, so that's the, the, the idea of easer, the helper, is, is a term of strength, the, the term of one who comes in to, to sustain, to uphold life. Okay, our, our language doesn't do it well when it sounds like, oh, he made her a, a, a helper. No, it's not inferiority, it's, it's this term of strength to come and uphold life. So a helper fit for him, the Kenigdo part. This is, this is clear in the context, he's, he's just said, 
um, that, that he, he, brought, uh, he brought forth, well, we, we can read it, um, out of the ground, verse 19, uh, God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heaven and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was his name. He gave live, names to all the livestock, the birds of the air. There was, but, okay, so you, this parade of animals coming through and Adam naming them, which is a funny scene. I wish I could talk more about it, but it is what it is. He gives them names. Uh, and what, and, but but here's, here's what he says. Middle of verse 20. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. A Kenigdo, right, right there again. Ezra Kenigdo. There was not, there wasn't an Ezra Kenigdo. Okay, the, the creation was good, but it wasn't complete. There wasn't anyone like Adam, yet fit for Adam. Okay, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he took out one of his ribs, closed up his place with flesh, and he created Eve. Okay, so, so this, this idea of fit for him, it, it, it reminds us that, again, not second class, equal to, like him, not like the animals, but in the image of God. Okay, so like him, recognizable, oh, that's another human, that's another image bearer, not an animal, and yet distinct, meaning complementary, meaning uh, able to do things that he's not able to do. If he's a helper fit for him, it, it means he's going to be able to fill, she's going to be able to fill gaps that he cannot fill. If you've worked on a team or if you work with someone, it, like, well, here's the deal. I love having Chad here. It's another full-time person on staff. Like, I, I love having him here. Like, we have some fun together. We, and it's just good to have some company sometimes. But, but here's the deal. If I just found somebody that, that I like to hang out with, that might not be good for the church. You know what I needed? I needed a helper fit for me that, that complemented my gifts. Because here's the deal. Chad's good at things that I'm not good at. Right? Chad is able to, to come in and do things that I, I'm not good at doing. He, he compliments me. Right? So, like, there's some, some personality things. There's this thing called a disc profile. Right? I'm an IS. Chad's a, a DC or CD. I forget which. But what does that mean? We're different. He brings different gifts and strengths to the table. That's a good thing. This is the idea of a helper fit for him. She's different, alike, but different, distinct, able with different gifts, different makeups. Okay, so, so God has, has made the man. Again, think of who God is. All of this is in the context of God creating the world out of nothing, out of chaos, creating order, creating this good world. And then he puts man in and he says, hey, you take it from here. Continue what I've been doing. Continue to create. Continue to uh, do, have dominion. Continue to make the world beautiful. And Adam, work it and keep it. And then he goes, mm, just something missing. So then he brings in Eve. What is she going to bring to the table that Adam is failing at? This is the idea of fit for him. Fit for her. Not even failing at, unequipped to do. This is not about Adam's failure at this point. Man is still good and unharmed and untainted by sin, and yet there's a need there. He's unable, un, not in the design to do, not able to do what God... So, so I, want, I want to look at the intentionality with which God made her, and I want to see, okay, what, what is this that God intends to, to bring and to have this woman do? So that's the issue. There's not a helper. There's not an Ezra Kenigdo uh, found for Adam. So verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took out one of his ribs 
and he closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. The man reacts. This, this, at last, this is what I've been looking for. This is someone, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. This is, she should be called woman because she's taken out a man. This is, this is Adam going, okay, yeah, all those animals, they weren't doing it for me. They, that wasn't right. That wasn't what I was looking for. But this, this, Lord, like he's high-fiving God. Like you did it. This is good. Like I like what I see in here, right? Like he's, this is, this is, this is good. And they're naked and they're not ashamed. So there's, that's a part of it, Right? There's a part of this is this beauty. There's a part of this that where Adam's strength reflects who God is in his strength. Eve reflects God's beauty and his desirability. Listen, the, the world has ruined sex in so many ways and objectified women and, and like, you know, distorted it down to this physical act that's just a, like, but here's the deal. Right here in this very moment, God made them to desire one another. He, like, God is a God who is full of strength, he is, he is a God who does not tire. He is a God who can protect. He is a God who can provide. The males image that. But guess what God also is? He's beautiful beyond all description. He's desirable beyond all compare. There is a longing, that, a, a sense of what we see when we see a beautiful sunset and creation. And if you've driven through the mountains and all like that, that's something that's just like transcendent of, the, of our world. You, you feel that draw. You feel that something just beyond you when you, when you go out and you're just kind of, you're kind of caught by the stars at night and you just realize, oh man, there's just, there's something beyond me. There, there, like, listen, that's our God. That's his image. So the beauty of women is not something to be ashamed of. It's, it's not something to, to hide or to do away. Like, this is good and right in creation. The man images God's strength. The woman images God in, in, in his beauty. Like, there, there's, there's goodness to this. And so Adam sees, oh, this is, this is someone like me. This is, this is a helper for me. This is an Isler Kenigdo. This is someone who fits what I need. It's not like the animals. That's another human. That's another image bearer. And she's different. He desires her, and he sees, oh, this is, this is good. Like, what you've done here, God, like, I commend you, right? Wasn't involved, totally asleep here, but it's good, right? So he affirms it in poem and song. This is his response. And then he says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, right? And they shall become one flesh. And so, um, and the man and the wife are both naked and not ashamed. So this is the design. This is the creation story. And we begin to see some of the intimacy that, that is built in intentionality between men and women. I, I just had some fun last night. My kids were, my older, my girls were sitting around after the boys went to bed. And I said, hey, what's, what's some of the differences between mommy and daddy? What, what's some of the differences just between men and women? And they were like, what? I'm like, just don't make it too hard. Just, just think about it. Just, just answer. Well, and one of the first ones was like, well, your private parts. I was like, that's right. We chuckle at it, but it matters, doesn't it? Like, it matters. Like, God made our, our bodies to complement one another, to fit together, for the man to pursue, to initiate, for the woman to receive. Like, this is, again, this is about Christ and the church. Christ pursues. He initiates, pursuing us, loving us. The church, we, we receive him. Like, th this is, there's a holiness to the way that our bodies are made, that our culture is distorted into filth. But there's a holiness to this. Christians need to be able to redeem Sex and, and, and God's design, right? Because he made us this way. So yeah, my kids aren't wrong. Our plumbing, that's, that's a part of the deal. And it matters. 
And this is part of what we need to know is it matters because this is how God has made us. And we image him by living out our maleness and living out our femaleness. It matters. It's not just our spiritual self that matters and the physicality is something we can take or leave. No, God has made us male and female. All the cells in my body are male. They're affected and reflected of the XY chromosome that, that has made me like I am. Right? Now listen, we haven't talked about this and I'm not gonna spend much time on it. There are exceptions. There are people who are born intersex and it's like 1.7% of the, of the population. And, and listen, those, those are complicated and hard situations. But those exceptions do not overturn the norm. They don't under, overturn God's design, right? That, that's not, we don't want to straw man that out and say, see, gender really doesn't matter. No, it absolutely matters. And those exceptions, those distortions are, are a result of a broken and fallen world that we live in. And you and I have like, you know, we have issues within our physicality that play itself out as a result of sin. And, and that's just a particular area there. So our, our sexuality matters, our physicality matters. So God has made us in this way. And Adam recognizes this and goes, yeah, that, that's good. So now I want to rewind and I want to see, I want to, I want to note, notice how she is made. Okay. I want to make a couple observations. The first, I want you to, I want you to see the cost of the creation. How is she made? It requires Adam to be put to sleep and then he, he's going to, he's going to lose something. He, he's, his body's going to be opened up in the, in the process of creating the woman. He, he's going to be taken from within her. Some, some people have, have made the comment that after sin in Genesis 3 and when God slaughters an animal to make coverings for them, that that's the first shedding of blood in the scripture. I, it's actually not. It's right here. It's in the creation of Eve that God opens up Adam's side, opens up his flesh, and takes out a rib to create him. So Listen, the, the point of today's sermon isn't primarily about complementarian theology and how marriage dynamics work together and, and headship and submission, all that. We're gonna talk about that in a few weeks, a couple weeks when we talk about God's design for the family. But as we look at God's design for the woman, it's important that we see this because this says something about the dynamic between men and women. Men are to have a posture of sacrificing. We talked about it last week. God has made man with, with strength and with uh, a physicality that, that is not to, to be used and abused to get what we want for our own good. He has made us as such so that we can give it to the world for the good of the world. He's made us as men to give ourselves to our wives, to our families, and to the world, imaging him as a God who has given himself to the good of the world. And so this, this sets up this dynamic of the very nature between the, the relationship between men and women is one of sacrifice. It's one of, of giving. It's not one of taking. It's not one of taking for themselves. That's what boys do. That's what selfish boys do. Men give themselves away. And we see it in the very crux of creation. The woman is taken out of the side of man. That it, there's a cost there. There's bloodshed there. But then God sews him back up and, and makes woman out of the rib. Now, I want, you to, I want you to think about that. Now, where was the location? It was taken from some of Adam's flesh. Some of his, it was bone of his bone, flesh of my flesh. But, but did he take you know, a vertebrae? Did he take a, a piece of the skull? Did he take a piece of the foot? No, there's an intentionality between where it came from. There's a famous quote, uh, most commonly attributed to Matthew Henry. He put it in his commentary. Most would say it dates further back than him to maybe Augustine or somebody else. But I use it in every one of my wedding ceremonies that we do. And it says this, the woman was made out of a rib out of the side of Adam, not out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm 
to be protected and near his heart to be beloved. There's an intentionality to this where God got that piece of bone that he was going to make Eve from to stand next to him, co-labor with him, to be loved, protected, and, and treasured by him. So that sort of settles some of the dynamics between men and women. And again, we'll focus on that in a couple weeks when we talk about how God's design for, the, for, the, for gender and the family plays out. But uh, today I want to focus on the purpose of a woman and answer the question whether there's an intentionality to the design of her body that sets the woman up to accomplish the purpose that God has called us to. Or is this sort of just like, well, God made it from the ground the first time. Let me try something different. Let me try a little different recipe. Let's see what I get. And the, and the woman's just random, right? Shows up. And I was like, oh, that, that'll work. Let's see how that goes. No, there's, is there an intentionality to this? And there is. So I want, you to, I want you to see the nature of the material. I want you to see the nature of the process. So um, <clears throat> God formed Adam. We talked about the difference in that last week moving from speaking the world into existence to actually getting down and getting dirt and forming him. There's an intentionality to the way he made his body. Same is true here. There's an intentionality to him forming and, and making Eve from this, this piece of raw material, this bone. Okay, So the way that he's made women's body is not accidental. It's not by happenstance. It's not by evolution. It's intentional in the design. Okay, And now I want to look at the nature of that material, though, because in the last week we talked about how masculinity lends itself to a working disposition. Adam is taken from the ground. His name means from the ground and to work the ground, okay? God has a plan for this creation and, and he, it's for it to be cultivated and, and grown into a, a world of order and of beauty and he takes man out of the ground to, to send him back out to work the ground, okay? So in Adam's creation material, there's a disposition toward work and, and I, I wanna see that there's a difference. He doesn't make Eve out of the ground. He makes her out of Adam's rib. And I want us to see that Scripture tends to suggest that femininity involves what one commentator was going to call relational disposition. So Adam has a working disposition where Eve seems to have a relational disposition, not from the ground, but from a human, from a person, right? We're going to see later that she's called Eve as the mother of all living Right? And Eve even sounds like life giver in the Hebrew language. And so there's, an, there's, there's a purpose. There's a somewhere that, that God is heading with this. That she has an inclination or a disposition toward life and people. Cultivating people. Growing people. So the man was created from the ground. It's called to work the ground. And he saw that the ground, after the curse, is going to work against him. In, in contrast, the woman was created from the man. This is from the Capitol Hill uh, teaching. And was called to help the man and seize her role in childbearing and in the relationship with the man challenged by the fall. So you see just the next chapter where things go awry and these good relationships of male and female begin to get inverted and twisted and, and get hard and get difficult. Um, so while the fall has made it harder to fulfill the gender dispositions that God has given us, it hasn't eradicated those dispositions. Men and women still... Uh, both image God as they, as they live out their, their maleness and their femaleness. So while men are, of course, called to care for others in life-giving relationships, this is true, like men aren't exempt from, from caring for other people. Women are, in particular, designed to be relationally oriented, to use their strength and energy to nurture and to bring life to others. Okay, so there's a lot of overlap in this. 
Okay, just like there's, there's overlap with masculinity. Chad and I did a podcast, follow-up last week's sermon, and we ended with like, hey, men should be involved in the home. Like there's, there's an overlap. Like just because men are called primarily to work, to provide and keep it, doesn't mean they don't have any responsibility at home. Like change the diaper, play with the kids, get involved, crawl in bed, tell them good night, do all of that. Like that's good and right for a man to do. Uh, and, and similarly, it doesn't mean a woman can't work. We're going to get into this in a little bit. It doesn't mean that, that, that her only role is, is, is with the kids. It, it's not, we, we, we begin to, right here is we begin to read into our culture's ideas of masculinity and femininity into the Bible. And we get, like you get in trouble when you begin to read your own ideas or the culture's ideas into the Bible. Instead, we want to see what does the Bible say and let that interpret the culture for us. Does that make sense? And so here's, here's, here's what we're seeing is that there's a, there's a disposition and intentionality to where a primary focus for the man was working the ground. Doesn't mean he does not involved at home, but a primary focus there. And for women, primary focus begins to be on life-giving, nurturing, bringing forth life. Okay, now this is important. Hang with me if you're beginning to put up, put up your, your guards and resist and, and, and you're boiling, please hang with me. Because we saw at the beginning, the purpose of humanity was to have dominion, fill the earth, and subdue it. Guess what? Man can't do that on his own. Okay? And I don't know if you've stopped and reflected on the miracle of life, on the miracle of a woman's body being able to conceive a child, grow that child, deliver that child, Good Lord, y'all. I'm not kidding. The body's ability to do that? I've been there. That's wild. Some of y'all were there and you passed out. I know, dudes. It's cool. I've heard your stories. It's wild. I don't blame you. But the ability to do that should praise God, right? And then to, to give that child life with their bodies to produce milk with sustenance that will Make that baby grow. This is crazy stuff that we shouldn't get over quickly. We shouldn't just go, eh, that's cool. No, it's amazing. That's what it is. It's amazing. So we better not begin to, we better not allow ourselves to slip into the, the ditch of viewing women as inferior or second class. My goodness, the glory that they, that they bestow on creation with the way that God has made their bodies. My goodness, we should rejoice with this. Remember, remember, this is what turned the tide from it being good to very good. You remember this, right? Like, it is the woman's presence in this creation that made it from, that's good, to, man, it's, God, God goes, that's it. I nailed it. It's very good. And it's, it's woman that does that, that, that shifts it in that. Like, so we need to make sure, church, Man, we should be holding our women in the highest of regard. We should be treating them with the highest of respect. We should be loving them with the highest of degree of our love that we can muster. We should not be taking advantage of them. We should not be objectifying them. We should not be mistreating them or abusing them. We should be honoring them, giving of ourselves to them, loving them. These are God's daughters. These are God's design. Like we see that, that he's made them with an inclination to, to give life, to, to raise life. 
We see that even, even after the fall in Genesis 3.20, the man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. Again, that, that, that word, Eve, sounds like life giver. Okay, so God has ordained that that part of Eve's role would still involve bringing about life. Okay, so we should infer from that that femininity involves nurturing life in others, not only physical life through being a mother, which some women will do, but cultivating spiritual life, which all women can do. Okay, so like, again, the fall has made some of this hard to see. This is God's good design. We're starting here. The fall has brought some distortion, made it cloudy, made it difficult to see the goodness of God here. And so this, this gets really bitterly hard and, and personal hard for some of y'all, for some of you women that, who, who are unable to experience this beauty and to, to see this miracle come forth in your body. And, and so like, the Bible sees that and knows that. More than me seeing and knowing, like, God sees it. In Genesis, there is a recurring theme of barrenness that we see that is mourned by those who are experiencing it and by God himself seeing. There's, there's woman after woman who has a particular role in the story that her barrenness has driven her to the, to, the, to the altar of the Lord and that God hears and honors and uses her in mighty ways. And so know that femininity is not exclusively tied to birthing biological children. Okay, because... In the Old Testament, the blessing was children. And so that's why you see some of this, this grieving and this hard process that goes on in Genesis and other parts. Because if you weren't able to, it was viewed as a curse and it was, it was to be grieved. And man, your, your life was really altered significantly if you weren't able to have children. That was who was going to care for you as you got older, like you know, sustain you. So th that was a problem. But in the New Testament, the blessing shifts from children to disciples. And the New Testament shifts from the blessing being about raising biological children to instead cultivating God's children and making disciples. And this is something that, that all women can do and play a particular role in doing. Listen, the world would not be like good without the presence of the feminine spirit, without the presence of women. God has already said that, and we can see that. If we're honest about that and we think about what we would miss out on if, if our women weren't with us, like, my goodness, there's, it's hard to even quantify that. It was a few years ago, uh, the company Uber went through some lawsuits about all kinds of mess. One of the things, one of the solutions that was put forward is, hey, they got a, they got a toxic like, work environment, whatever. One of the solutions put forward was, y'all need some women in leadership. You need some emotional intelligence. You need some empathy. You need some sense. And, and that's just a secular world going, ah, what's wrong here? Oh, there's not enough women. <laughs> These dudes are terrible at this, right? They're, they're mean to people. They don't think about other people. I'm not, I don't mean to paint a broad brush. I'm just saying that right there is echoing what God said in Genesis 2. It's not good. We need both. So, you could just see this objective evidence that, man, the world needs women. It, it needs the, the beauty of the feminine spirit. It doesn't need women to figure out how to be more manly. It needs the world to figure out how to celebrate what it means to be godly and womanly and to cultivate that, call our daughters to that, to, to celebrate that, exalt that in our, in our world, in our church. So listen, so this begins to flesh out for us what does God mean for a woman to do. So... Um, Again, 
It's, it's not solely about being able to bear children. Just like with men, it's not solely about being able to provide and protect in some way that the world has said. Last week we said some men are more uh, physically able to provide and to protect and to stand up in a fight or whatever than other men based on their size, their stature, or maybe a disability. And so that's not what we call men out for. What we call men out for is, are you, are you providing and are you protecting? Are you showing up physically? Are you doing what you can? Are you laying down your life, right? That's what it means to be a masculine image bearer is, is one who's giving of themselves the strength that they have to provide and protect. It's not about, you know, whether you're smaller in stature or, you know, huge. And it's not about whether you're trained in a fi- as a fighter or whether you're, you're not. You're proficient with weapons or whether you're not. Like, no, it, it's about are you willing to provide and protect, to step in between danger, uh, to put yourself in between those that might be you know, in danger and the danger that's coming at them. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to make it your responsibility that your family has what it needs? That's the masculine nature. Same is true for, for women. It's not about whether you can birth children or you're able to or have you done that yet. Your life doesn't start when you can get a man, ladies. Your life doesn't start when you can start having kids. Your, your image bearing of who God is doesn't start at, those, at that point. That's not the point of this nature. That's not the point of this sermon. The, the point is, is that God has made you with a nature that is set up to cultivate and to nurture life. And that happens through the miracle of birth, to be sure, but it happens well beyond that. It happens as you serve in homes uh, and raise children. It happens as you serve in schools. It happens as you serve in churches and you cultivate life. It happens as you love on people in your community and at your office and whatever. Like It happens as you give of yourself in the image that God has made you as a woman to Bless others to come alongside, to be a helper, to be a life giver as a woman. So he's made women physically able to be life givers. That's not to be minimized. Able to conceive life, carry it, birth it, and then nourish it with their bodies. That, and he's given women hormones and such. Like, like again, I, I want you to know that gender matters. The world says it doesn't. It does. Gender matters. Our sexuality matters. Male, female, it matters. He's made women like to, to have estrogen that 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 creates their, their reproductive system that is so miraculous and marvelous. And then it, it generates milk for that baby after they're born, and then it generates this hormone called oxytocin that they start bonding with this baby as they're feeding it. And, and that, that, that incredible treasure that happens as you're bonding with that baby, ladies, it, it, it helps you forget the pain of childbirth. Oh, before that, he made y'all tougher so that you can endure the pain of childbirth. We just need to be real clear about that, dudes. We may be able to lift a bigger box, but do not pretend that you're tougher than your wife. I ain't, no, I ain't, pull, I ain't even trying to get in that game. I know women are tougher. Your threshold for pain is crazy high. And y'all live longer, right? Like, it's not like men are just physically better. Like, we're just brutes about some things. Women are better about so many other things. So many stats that, that women just kill. Because you're, you're made to do so. Okay? But yeah, we got these hormones flowing through. We forget about that pain from childbirth, or at least, at least it recolors it to, to, to bind it instead to this wonderful gift of life. There's something instinctual about a woman that when she sees a baby, or most of the time, I know it's not true for everybody, but women see babies and they want to hold the baby. And they went all over the baby. And then something, no matter how old you are, something moment of insanity goes, maybe I want another one of these. <laughs> Dudes walk in a room with babies, they're like, cool, there's a baby. Right? Like we don't, we don't have that same draw. 
God made that on purpose. Because you're made for life. You're made for nourishing, for cultivating, for raising life, for giving of yourself in a way that is empathetic, a way that is emotionally in tune, a way that is caring, a way that is loving, a way that is providing. All of that is a part of the feminine spirit and the feminine nature that God has designed in you on purpose. Um, all right. I'm going we'll to have to do a podcast on this too. I've got more thoughts, but I'm going to have to skip and move quick. So... <clears throat> So all of this pushes us towards these questions of, okay, what does it mean then on the ground for a woman to be a woman? Does that mean that she only, her only purpose is to have babies and raise them and, and cook, cook meals? No. But you can see how some of this confusion, because of the way our world categorizes things and we see things in the scripture and we go, it must mean this. But, but that, that question, that dichotomy is forced by cultural norms and issues of feminism and, and, and culture's confusion about what humanity's purpose is, as I mentioned earlier, what makes someone valuable. And it's, it's forced by a gross undervaluing of the work of homemaking and, and raising kids, right? This debate becomes about the oppression and the abuse and the misuse of women. And that's why you got things like unequal pay for the same job. Like, that's just nonsense. It's all this confusion that leads us to this point. Uh, but, but again, even that bleep brings us back to this issue of calling and design. And, and because, you know, okay, yes, that may lead to this deal in the workplace. But beyond, can, we, can we value things beyond that? Because in the ocean of secularism, like we just, I think it's Piper that said this, we swim, uh, and unfortunately this includes a lot of the church, this, these, we have these drifts toward minimizing serious differences between man and a woman, and the culture swings back and forth between uh, w women are, are mainly sex objects or they're senior vice presidents. Like there's this oscillation between it's one or the other, and, and, and again, this comes from our culture's values, not the scriptures. So we need to assign value and prestige and status how the scriptures do. And, and before we even move into that, I think we can just make some logical arguments and observations about the values that women bring, right? Um, because, like, again, we're just not thinking about this well. If you quantify the, the, the work that women do at home, and if you quantify the salary for what it would be a stay-at-home mom at, at a median rate of salary, like the stay-at-home mom would, would earn around 185000 a year. Like what it would cost to do the things that mamas are doing, cleaning, cooking, right? All that, like it, it's asinine for us to think that they are not valued. And, but we don't quantify it that way because she doesn't get a W-2 for that because she doesn't get a statement about that. We, we, the world says, what do you do? How much do you earn? What's your salary? That's your value. And so then we, we get in this push and pull. Well, women want to be able to do this. They want to be able to have this value. And, and I'm, I'm oversimplifying things and generalizing things, but, but this is an underlying issue. And then beyond just the salary piece, we are misjudging influence and misjudging who's making the world what it is. Too often, uh, John Piper said, we, miss, we, we confuse authority and position with influence. And that's wrong. Because just somebody, just because somebody is in a position of authority and, and you know has a, a title, we think that equals influence. In reality, that's not the case. I think it, it's again Abigail Dodd says this about women. Says our culture. Well, well, before that, like John Piper says, like I think the most influential people in the world are moms. Women shaping our next generation. Now Dodd says our culture exchanges the glory of feminine strength for a treadmill race to nowhere. Yet the vision our culture offers is a sad consolation 
what, that exchanges the glory of feminine strength for a treadmill race to nowhere. It squanders the kind of influence that's primarily found in the soil of the home. The home is the center of all learning, the heart of nation building, the dispenser of love and stability, the venue for gospel hospitality for single and married alike. In short, the home is the footings of humanity. This home-based influence, because of Christ, can last for thousands of generations. And yet our culture urges us, she's speaking to women, to cast it aside for the pursuit of rewards a little less off in the distance and certainly ones that don't require diapering. When we look at what the Bible actually says, I believe it will lead to the elevating of a woman's role and, and to the flourishing of women and to humanity. So I, I want to give you some practical exhortations that we'll flesh out more in podcast this week. But Titus 2 speaks more into, okay, are, are women, what, what's women's roles? And, and it says this, likewise, women are there to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They should teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So, okay, it sounds like, okay, so she should quit her job and go home. Well, mm, that's not exact. Again, we're reading our culture into this. This is working at home, a focus on the work at home. Like that is, our pri- that, that is the woman's primary focus. That should be what drives her other actions, okay? That should be the priorities. Let's look briefly at Proverbs 31. I'm not going to preach through this. I want you to just see the Proverbs 31. And some of y'all are just waiting for this to go here, right, about the biblical woman. And some of y'all feel away to this right off the bat. And you're like, oh, man, this is just a misused text. It's just, it's just difficult. But, but, but it's not. It's, it's God's word. It's there for our good. But, but I want you to see that the Proverbs 31 woman isn't a woman who only, like, she isn't just barefoot and pregnant in front of the stove all the time. This woman is a hustler. This woman is a go-getter. This woman is a beast. Like, she's handling her business. I want you to see that. I want you to have a full picture of femininity in the Scripture. So verse 10, I'm just going to read through this really quick. I want you to think about the picture of a woman that's painting here. An excellent wife, who can find? She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. There's this this helpmate language. He will have no lack of gain. She She does him good, not harm. Again, it's complementary nature. All the days of her life, she seeks wool and flax. She's providing for her family. She's making sure they're clothed. She works with willing hands. She's not begrudging her work at home. She's willingly engaged at home. Again, there's this focus. The question isn't whether I should work at home or not, the question, or whether I should work outside the home or not. The question is, does my work outside the home allow time for me to give right focus to the work at home? right focus to what I have to do at home? Or is raising kiddos and, and diapering, is that just secondary, something you kind of got to tolerate and that you'd rather outsource? Because God is calling that to be primary. And you're going to see all that the Proverbs 31 woman does is, is to, to uplift that family, to, to focus on giving life, raising life, the way that God has sent women into the world to do. So, um, She's working with willing hands. Verse 13, she's like the ships of a merchant. She brings her food from afar. She's, she's working in the trade. She's figuring out how to get her food there. She rises when it's yet night. She provides food for her household. She gets up early. She's cooking. She's preparing portions for her, her maiden. She's, she's handling it. She considers the field. She buys it. She's doing property purchases. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She buys property. She's cultivating it into a garden. She's making things happen. She dresses herself with strength. She makes her arms strong, right? She's, she's not strong like a man is strong. She's not trying to look like a man, and be, but she has a strength about her femininity. She perceives that 
Her merchandise is profitable. She's got a side business. She's making things happen. Her lamp does not go out at night. She's working hard. She puts her hands to the staff. She holds up the spindle. She opens her door to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid to, uh, of the snow for her household because they all have the clothes that they need. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. She looks good. Her, her husband is known in the gates, um, and, and he's praised by the elders. Like She makes linen garments and sells them. It just goes on and on. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. Why? Because she fears the Lord. She opens her mouth with wisdom. The teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks to the ways of the household uh, and does not eat the bread of idleness. She, her children rise up and call her blessed. My goodness, one of the most moving funerals I ever went to. It was for my, my, my buddy, Pastor Chris Winkleman. Uh, his mom died, and I knew her. She worked with my mom. She's a sweet woman, and I, and I loved her just from my own engagement with her. But her and her, her, both of her sons got up and spoke on her behalf, and one of them said, Mom, we're rising up and calling you blessed. And just the testimony of her life given uh, for the sake of others was so beautiful, and I'll never for, forget that moment. He said, this is us rising up to call you blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive, beauty is in vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, you can also say that as gravity wins, uh, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be, yeah, it took a minute. I knew it would, it's okay, it's okay. I stole that from another pastor, but it's too funny. Like, but gravity wins, so a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Now that's a lot. In some ways, you can be like, man, that's the woman who's just showing the, the highlights, just the, the wave tops on her social media feed. Where's the struggle? Well, again, this is poetic. This is sort of heroic, and this is not taking you into the weeds. The Bible takes you into plenty of weeds. The Bible's not painting a picture of no struggles. But this is saying, this is the idea of, human, of femininity. It is not passive, quiet, just get in there and cook me dinner stuff. Okay, so this is not meant to bring shame. This is meant to bring freedom. This is meant to bring inspiration. This is meant to bring permission for you to be who God has made you to be. You should feel that. I know that many of you won't. Many will call this old-fashioned and oppressive, but it, even unchurched women in our culture know the household should come first. Modern surveys often report that women regret not devoting enough time to their families. Uh, Rachel Pauls, whenever she quit her job in the, in the uh, school district as a speech therapist and, and came to work here and primarily to spend time at her home, she said every woman that talked to her without fail congratulated her and said, I wish I could do that. That says something about the feminine nature. I'm not trying to guilt you if that's not you. I'm trying to tell you, hey, have you examined what God wants for you? Or have you let the world color what you think that you need to be doing? Okay, that's important. Who has shaped your idea of what it means to be a woman? God says, man, your work, you're, you're wired to work at home. You're, you're wired to do some amazing work in the forming of souls, the forming of minds, the caring of children, the raising up of nations. I agree with Abigail Dodds. The home is the footings of humanity. Women, do not ever apologize and act like you're less than when someone asks you what you do and you say, well, I, I, stay, I stay at home. No, 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 that's not, I just stay at home. That is, man, I, I, I'm raising a freaking nation. I'm forming souls. What are you doing? Right? Like, there needs to be a pride about this. Not an apology. I mean it, women. And men, 
Figure it out. Figure out how to value that. Figure out how to let your woman pursue the life she's called you to live. Some people can't do what Rachel did because you're, you're so in over your head in the house debt that if you quit, if the woman quit her job, they couldn't, they couldn't f- figure it out. Men, that's your responsibility. Figure it out. If you know your woman's being called home and you won't let her do it because you like the, the, the flow, that's on you. That's on you. Does it mean you're wrong if you work, ladies? No. Look at the Proverbs 31 woman. She's hustling. She's buying. She's selling. She's cultivating. She's hustling. No grass is growing under her feet. Okay? So that's not wrong. But what you're doing outside the home, is that priority? And does that allow space for you to give the devotion that you're called to at home? Listen, this is where we're called to flourish. With everything about our Christian life, we're called to lay down desires within ourselves for the sake of pursuing Jesus. And Jesus says, is it not that you'll find life? This is true across the board with any sin. It just feels a little harsher when it comes about the stuff like this, doesn't it? But Jesus says, I know, but come to me. I know, but trust me. Some of you don't know how to trust men. Some of you don't know if he's good. Let me just tell you, we ended last week looking at Romans 5. Adam being the, the, Adam being the first man that crushed the world and made a mess of it. And Jesus comes and is the second Adam and he brings life. I want you to know, ladies, that Jesus came to feel what you felt, to suffer, to struggle the way you struggle. He went to the cross and he gave up his own flesh. His own side was pierced so that you could have life. He's a good father. He's a good savior. You can trust him. And unlike Adam, he won't bail. He won't cop out his responsibility. He's with you and he'll lead you to life. If you're here, you don't know Jesus. He's what makes sense of the, he's the big puzzle piece that makes sense of this world and this life. You gotta know him first. So ladies, bring your femininity to him. Let him redeem it. Let him send you out to bring beauty and life to the world. In the midst of your circumstances, I know your own story plays out and your own pain is there, but listen, Jesus, his own blood was spilled out of his side, just like Adam. But through him, the gift, he brings redemption, he brings hope, he brings healing. Trust him today. Let's pray. God, we need you to override the culture's programming. We need you to overwhelm our desires in our hearts and call us to life. We need you to send your spirit to remind us, to show us that you're good. So we invite you to do that this morning. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Listen, church, the band's coming up to lead us in a final song. We're gonna respond with worship, but you respond as the Lord's leading you. There's altar space here if you'd like to pray by yourself. Um, If you'd like to be prayed with, we'll have some leaders up front. I'll be right over here. Love to pray with you. Let's respond as the Lord leads to his goodness, to his call, to his offer of life.